Good day to all you fart fucks. Welcome back to episode 3 of Tusk, where the world is going to shit, so we're kicking back and enjoying the show. Once again, we welcome back our guest Cruz Marquis, and today we are going to discuss and target a few pressing subjects that have sparked over the past week in the American political scene. So, how you doing, Mr. Marquis? Very good, Tusk. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for being on here again. So, arguably the most pressing issue that has risen over the past week is this new fucking moronic decision that PayPal decided to make where they decided to steal how much was it? $2,500. Let's say it again for emphasis. $2,500. Yep. $2,500 from every account of somebody that PayPal has decided spread misinformation. So, essentially, if you say something on the internet that PayPal thinks is misinformation, they would take $2,500 out of your account. That's right, Tusk. One of the things that I thought about immediately upon hearing that is how is PayPal going to determine what's misinformation and what's not misinformation? I find hard to believe that they're going to maintain a ministry of truth, just private within their company in-house, so to speak. So they're going to have to outsource it to someone. Who are they going to go to be their truth czar? So in essence, who else out on the internet is thinking about what's misinformation and what's not. It's the other big tech firms. It's Meta, which is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, among others. WhatsApp, I believe, is under their umbrella, too. It's also Twitter with Jack Dorsey and that whole crowd over there. They used to be libertarians in favor of free speech. Now it's some authoritarian nightmare that kicks off presidents. But I digress. So, those are the big arbiters of truth in the modern era if it's if it's true it must be precisely what uh meta is saying is true if it's not true they must be denouncing it so they're the people who are deciding what's what these days and paypal is probably going to go to them to determine what's true and what's not and we already know the history of what these other firms are denying and what they're saying isn't truthful if Say you talk about the coronavirus, no matter what you put in there, no matter what the context is, it's going to automatically flag it as potential misinformation and big links to like uh, the United Nations and the World Health Organization and CDC immediately pop up, right? right. And basically anything that's remotely right-wing or remotely a criticism of the state is going to get flagged as potential misinformation. So you're a potential thought criminal if you deviate even the slightest bit from the left-wing orthodoxy that's being enforced by the big tech firms. Right, yeah, and uh, of course, because they're all fucking cowards, after PayPal got a shit ton of backlash from people saying, hey, you're going to steal my fucking money. No, I'm not going to let you do that. Of course, they decide to back off and say, hey, hey, guys, come on. You know, I was I was just kidding, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you weren't. Yeah, they, 
they said that it was a it was an error uh some sort of technical error that it was posted like yeah i believe your hand slipped and you made a typo of pages and pages of a new policy of saying that you were going to take $2,500 for anyone spreading quote-unquote misinformation. Yeah, no, that wasn't a fucking error. Right. I'm sure somebody just broke into PayPal's headquarters or one of their office buildings and just decided to sit down at some random computer and start typing off a 30-page or maybe like 200-page legal dissertation that newspeak that nobody reads but always clicks agree to at the bottom of the page about stealing $2,500 from people's accounts based on misinformation or purported misinformation, as it's probably going to be, and then just uh, post it on their social media. They crafted press statements for it and maybe infographics. Hell, maybe even grab himself a coffee on the way out. Get real. That's not how this works. It takes a lot of effort to craft all this stuff and put together. It, they clearly took their time and thought about it. This was premeditated. They thought this was a good idea. They put it out. And now they think that people are just unintelligent and they can't put two and two together and see that they had to walk it back because people weren't going to stand for it, and people closed their accounts. Yep. I, I sure as fuck did. I immediately shut off my fucking account. Cleared it all. Hell, I just got the You and I both. Yeah, hell, I just got the notification today saying, <laughs> yeah, your uh, cancellation went through because I had to put in a request for it. But, yep. My account's gone, and yeah. Needless to say, I will not be using PayPal in the future. Of course. I believe that's a story that a lot of Americans could uh, echo. One of the things I saw right off the bat when the markets opened Monday was that the stock for PayPal was down, I want to say, 6%, and this figured out to over $5 billion in lost capital. Well, do you have the current figures on hand? Yes, I do. Let me pull them up real quick. So, PayPal's stock, over the past week, it has gone down by 9%. Even worse when I checked it on Monday. Yep. At one point, it was down by 13%. So, yeah. Carnage. But, speaking of media bias... Apparently, yeah, one of the ladies from UN apparently said, we own the science and openly admitted to paying Google to put their website and information above all other searches on Google. So here it is. Google, for example, if you Google climate change, you will, at the top of your search, you will get all kinds of UN resources. We started this partnership when we were shocked to see that when we googled climate change we were getting incredibly distorted uh, information right at the top so we we're becoming much more proactive um you know we own the science and we think that the world you know should know it one of the most important premises of having a republic that's what we have or are supposed to have at least is that the citizenry has to be informed if the people can't make informed decisions, then the whole idea upon which popular sovereignty rests just collapses like an edifice. 
people need to have information. People need to be able to speak. People need to be able to speak without fearing that their voice is going to be cracked down on or that they're going to get punished for speaking out. It, Google and the other or, uh, big search providers out there, because of what's called path dependence, which is basically the theory that history matters and that we've been using these systems for so long, there is a built-in dependence on them. They have an inordinate amount of traction, not just in the market for actual advertising dollars, which is where Google makes all their money, but uh, also in that at uh, the market for information, where people get their news, where people get their science, where people get their commentary, all that. Google is in charge of all this with their algorithms, and they can't easily be replaced. So when people are doing this cronyism and bribing the circuit masters about what what results are going to populate and when, then there isn't an easy way to get around this stuff. And it's giving certain people, like in this case, the United Nations, certain institutions, an immense amount of power that they otherwise wouldn't have and shouldn't in a free society. There needs to be a marketplace of information and bribing people to put one thing at the top is giving them a competitive advantage that they shouldn't have. Let the yeah, let the internet traffic go where it will. Laissez-faire, laissez-passer. Let's not ignore the fact that this cunt had the audacity to say, we own the science. That speaks for itself. As if science can be owned? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Shit on capitalism while you claim to own science. Yeah, th that was pure tyrannical propaganda I I was honestly in shock when I first heard that but that's the world that we're living in so indeed Tusk I was seeing a book not too long ago that really speaks the power of Google and the other big tech firms right now it was written by this uh, uh, professor Zuboff I believe called the age of surveillance capitalism which basically posits that these enormous tech firms are providing these services that are ostensibly free to us. Think of Twitter. There isn't a cost for making an account or maintaining one, but they have costs on their end of maintaining those. Think of how many servers it needs to power and save all those tweets everywhere. That costs a lot of money. Where does that money come from? It comes from you, but you're not paying in the way that you think you're paying paying by giving them so much information the stream of consciousness that's flowing into all those tweets and all those internet searches that data is then mined it's data mined by these big corporations and it's then monetized what do i mean by that i mean that it's sold to other big corporations to create targeted ads for people and this is one of the biggest industries in the modern world is targeted advertising and the mining of data from the internet. And when th these companies, all these internet companies, of course, are in bed with the state, this stuff has come out in the, in the news just repeatedly that they're totally in collusion with the intel agencies. 
This is giving the state an inordinate and completely unprecedented tool that they can use to see into the minds and thoughts of everyone on Earth. Wow. Yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. Indeed. Google is probably the biggest offender from this. Uh, Google's AdWords is one of the big examples used in the book, uh, as far as I'm aware. And there are other offenders, but if you want to get the core of all this, look no further than Google. There was a book written about Google also some time ago. It was playing off Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book, Gulag Archipelago, by calling it Google Archipelago. See what he did there? <laughs> so, this is really where censorship starts. These people could possibly turn an election in a few years if their power keeps growing. They are making untold billions of dollars. And they're selling our information to other companies is for better advertising. And then God knows what they're telling the state about us and just how deep the dossiers about all of us are getting. Do they know what sort of uh, soda I buy at the store? I guess that's a bad example because I don't drink soda, but do they know what variety of ham I buy at the store? I'd rather not the state know that. Yeah, that's... Uh, that is scary to think about, definitely. It uh, makes me want to go off the grid, you know, go Amish. When you think about it, the Amish are pretty fucking <laughs> set for when society inevitably collapses. <laughs> Indeed, they really are. Yeah. But uh, while we're on the topic of censorship... I think this directly feeds into our next point, the current Alex Jones settlement. So, Alex Jones, for those of you that don't know, he's a very far-right political commentator, and for years he has pitched the conspiracy that the Sandy Hook massacre never happened. He's said for years that he doesn't think it happened, nobody died, and it's the things that he has said, they are, they're pretty shitty they really are if you're going to tell parents that their kid wasn't really murdered you're gonna have to have some really really fucking undeniable evidence but a few days ago if if that it might have been just a day ago or so the court ruled that he owes $965 million just short of a billion to the victims' families. What are your thoughts on this, Marquis? Right. First, before we get started on that, want to put out a caveat. I'm in no way defending what Alex Jones is saying. That's shitty. You can't just go about and say that. You can legally. You shouldn't be locked up in prison for having an opinion. But that's, that's shitty. That's not right. And claim that big needs a lot of proof he's never offered that kind of proof that's wrong not on his side on that that being said when the supreme court rules not not even just the supreme court but lower courts rule on the question of speech about the press about anything that involves free expression 
you walk into the danger of what the Supreme Court has called historically the chilling effect. What does this mean? It means that at a if they rule punitively and actually punish someone for expressing an opinion, then less people are likely to speak up in the future. So all this is going to have a very big chilling effect on free speech. Because, for one thing, this is a defamation case. Defamation cases always have a chilling effect on free speech. Now people are going to wonder when they publish something about another person or a politician then well it this real well there was that case of alex jones not too long ago he got hit with a billion dollar judgment maybe i should just not send this story maybe i just shouldn't write this that's the chilling effect and that's deleterious to a free people and a republic which we supposedly still have both of those kind of dubiously right yeah it's again what Alex Jones said, not fucking cool. You can't make a claim like that without some serious evidence. But right. it still begs the question, did he break the law by saying, I don't think that this massacre happened? I don't think, I really don't think he did. I don't think that he should have to pay a billion dollars for it. Yes. When you really think about the scale of the judgment, I'm going to give a historical allusion just for uh, uh, just for scale, I suppose. Ten years ago, the drug company Merrick was ordered to pay $950 million to settle suits related to their, their painkiller Vioxx. Well, what did that painkiller do? It doubled the risk of heart attacks and strokes, according to the Justice Department. They were sued more than 26,000 times. People died over this. People died because this corporation didn't advertise their drugs correctly. And they got punished for it. But, but not... they got punished to a tune of $950 million. That's less than what Alex Jones just got punished for. And to the best of my knowledge, Alex Jones is not a convicted murderer. He didn't actually kill anybody in saying this. But this huge, faceless corporation that uh, unethically and illegally marketed painkillers actually did kill people, but they got charged less, and they're not even a private person. That's a corporation. Exactly. So that's a little bit odd right there, I think. Yeah. I. It does bring up a lot of questions, and... It's got me scratching my head. I $965 million. That's $15 million more than this company that actually killed thousands of people. It, it has to make you wonder. There's got to be something more behind this. That very well could be. Alex Jones is a longtime political dissident. I looked him up just to, to see his net worth before this episode, just out of curiosity. And I was fascinated that the first thing that came up is Alex Jones is a far-right political extremist. Very cool and all. They immediately just brand him an extremist, which has, has uh, some very bad undertones, to say the least. Yep. So he's a 
constant and relentless critic of the state. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like big government and a lot of the powers that be, he, like uh, big those big tech firms I've been criticizing a lot today, and uh, the establishment within both parties, all that, he's not been a big fan of them. He has enemies. So uh, it's possible that some of that bias against him for being a perennial dissident has seeped down into this judgment. Yeah, I, I think that's the case at the end of the day it could not be but i i really think that it is now as we all know the 2022 midterms are steadily approaching and it's looking like anyone's game now of course historically the president's party does poorly in the midterms so that is the prediction however there are a few Particularly in a few battleground states, it looks like it could be a coin toss. And one example of this is John Fetterman versus Mehmet Oz. Now, Marquis, what are your thoughts on the midterms as a whole? And then if you have any thoughts on Fetterman v. Oz, you can give those to Right. I called in one of our previous episodes, Tusk, that I'm just going to go with the experience of history and that we're probably going to end up with a big win for the Republicans. And I'm not saying this out of some partisan bias. I'm not a Republican. You're not a Republican, which is probably surprising to some of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, I some I usually do caucus with Republicans, but that's generally because the libertarian movement, which more closely encapsulates why I actually do think about politics, is quite frankly inept. Have to, uh, what do I mean by that? I quite frankly look back at the 2016 Libertarian National Convention, and you have this middle-aged man who gets on stage and performs an actual striptease on the at the convention, televised on C-SPAN. If you want to watch on YouTube, I don't know why you would. And uh, this is a, a a guy and just doing a striptease at political convention that's that's not the what a serious party does libertarians don't have the infrastructure they uh, don't have the polling establishment mailing lists analytics lawyers lined up but what they do have are middle-aged men stripping at their conventions and uh, and their candidates are like gary johnson who talks about uh, getting rid of driver's licenses and uh, isn't aware about humanitarian disasters going on in Aleppo while the place was currently having a humanitarian disaster. Uh, The Libertarian Party is a fractious mess. So that's why I usually end up as voting for Republican, even though they... Same here. uh, The Republican Party is a dumpster fire, too. Yeah, it it really is. If we went back to, say, the calvin coolidge era of republicanism i think that the republican party could gain it would become even more hated by the left but i think it would gain a lot of ground with independence and right-leaning libertarians or right-leaning independents like myself simply because if we went back to that era of republicanism 
at least it w they would work on reducing the national deficit and the budget, reducing government spending, things of that nature. Right. In the as recently as the '90s, Republicans were campaigning on the balanced budget amendment to the Constitution. We don't really hear that much anymore. Maybe it was campaigned on a little bit in the 2000s, but that was the whole essence of the contract with America during the Clinton administration, that uh, we were going to really rein in big government. Like the president said back then, the era of big government is over, but it really wasn't. In fact, that was just the start of a new and even worse era of big government. Exactly. Uh, the main reason that I don't consider myself a Trump supporter is because up until Sniffy the Clown, he was the biggest spender in U.S. history. I think that Trump did a lot of stupid shit, I think. Republicans do a lot of stupid shit. Which is why I consider myself an independent by typically caucus Republicans. Because at the very Indeed. least, with Republicans, I get to keep my right to protect myself, and I don't have illegal immigrants bringing over insane amounts of fentanyl into my hometown. Absolutely. Liberty is a non-negotiable thing, which is why you really can't touch the Democratic Party with a ballot anymore. You know, while we're on the topic of the Democratic Party, something else major happened. About four days ago, Tulsi Gabbard, who for a while I have considered to be the only Democrat that I would ever consider voting for, she just recently, four days ago, announced that she is now separating from the Democratic Party. Here's a video of her saying that. ...can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that's under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers who are driven by cowardly wokeness, who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in our Constitution, who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police but protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, who are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, I believe in a government that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for a government that is of, by, and for the powerful elite. Now, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent-minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. If you can no longer stomach the direction that the so-called woke Democratic Party ideologues are taking our country, then I invite you to join me. Marquis, do you have any thoughts on that? Taking a stand against starting a nuclear war shouldn't be a controversial stance, but quite honestly, a lot of the Democratic Party doesn't take this very seriously. They're not taking the prospect of a limited nuclear exchange with the Russians seriously. Just let that sink in for a moment. Open the door and let the sink in. But do you have anything to say specifically on Miss Gabbard leaving the Democratic Party? Well, much of what you said I agree with, basically. Gabbard has been a 
common sense Democrat for a long time. I uh, listened to her in some of the previous debates when she was running for president. And uh, a lot of what she's had to say in the past has been sensible. And uh, she's still being sensible by leaving the Democratic Party. Hopefully more people will follow. And uh, anything that stops basically a nuclear war is a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, true that. But uh, specifically, something that I noticed is her calling other independent-minded Democrats to leave the party. Do you think they'll have much of an impact? Depends on if we're talking about voters or politicians. Fair Pretty enough. rare for politicians to jump ship. Happens like once a year or so. But yeah, voters, do. they jump ship all the time. Yeah, I do think that it could leave a very big dent with voters. It does seem like the entire Democratic Party has been crashing, burning. Right. Joe Manchin might be a candidate for jumping ship, actually. True. If uh, if it wasn't Tulsi Gabbard, I think it would be Joe Manchin if I had to choose a Democrat to vote for. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah Manchin is uh, West Virginia, I believe. Is that correct? Senator from West Virginia. Yeah, he was the yeah, so. he was the governor of West Virginia from two thousand five to two thousand ten. Right. If Democrats are going to be competitive in a state like that, they definitely have to adapt their brand and uh, just conform to the realities that West Virginia is not going to vote the same as San Francisco. And uh, to be quite honest, if they West Virginia keeps electing a Democrat, that's in the mold of Joe Manchin, I uh, don't mind that he votes technically with a D on, in his name instead of an R. So long as the votes go our way, labels are semantics. Right. While we are discussing senators, perhaps we should discuss arguably the most important election in the 2022 midterms. John Fetterman versus Dr. Mehmet Oz. So, over the past couple of months, John Fetterman has led with a decently, however, the race seems to be getting tighter and tighter, with certain polls ranging Fetterman's lead anywhere from two to six points, but it is closing, it, it, and it is closing quickly, and a lot of people are crediting that to John Fetterman's stroke that he had not too long ago, and apparently, recently, he has been showing a few Biden-esque cognitive mishaps. Do you have any thoughts on this, Marquis? Yes, well, Biden, we, we've seen him decline over the course of the presidency. Every day, it seems like there's a new video of him acting incoherently that's spreading all across the internet. So, the electorate is thinking about that a lot. One of the last times that I can really think of that the media made so much of a big stink about uh, a candidate who may or may not be mentally impaired was Trump, and before that it was McCain. And, uh, it's, it's rare that the media talks about the fitness of a Democrat, but 
now that the media is talking about the fitness of a Democrat, i.e. Joe Biden, it's easier for them to talk about positive cognitive shortfalls within down-ballot races. So uh, that probably explains some of the attention that's at a, a Fetterman has been getting lately. There is also the claim that apparently he lived off of his family for a few years. I don't know the story about around that, but it would not surprise me if we found out that he was fucking sitting in bed all day eating fucking Cheetos and telling his mom to grab the TV remote for him, but that's just me. But aside from that, this could be a very, very important election for the midterms, and it does surprise me that Fetterman is leading. However, at this point, apparently the gap is within the margin of error. So, it's a coin toss. That, along with apparently J.D. Vance, the Republican Senate candidate for Ohio, is apparently has a very, very small lead, but it, like the Fetterman v. Oz election, apparently the Republican is gaining ground very, very quickly. So, aside from that, a few other elections, apparently the Nevada Senate race is tight, um... The Georgian Senate race is apparently a shit show, with Herschel Walker having quite the stain being put on his reputation. Apparently, even though Herschel Walker, the former NFL star, uh, apparently, despite being very, very pro-life, his ex-girlfriend has come out saying that he paid for her abortion a few years back. I can't remember exactly when, but that, for a Republican, that's enough to potentially lose them the election. What are your thoughts? Right. That definitely makes him rather difficult to vote for, especially for religious evangelical conservatives that uh, make up quite a big part of the current Republican base right now. We talked about abortion sometime in the last episode, and uh, my thoughts on that are definitely generally negative. Have, uh, Warnock, though, he's got his own problems with being seen to be hypocritical. I believe his church, buildings that were owned by his church, he's a reverend, just evicted tenants while uh, they were also receiving a big housing stipend these and these tenants were otherwise homeless so his apartments that were owned by his church are evicting people that are now going straight back onto the streets while they're on the government dole so that's a uh, always a very interesting situation he's got down there right yeah apparently the polls have not changed since the scandal came out, but uh, his opponent in the election, Raphael Warnock, has, has gone up by one point. So it hasn't completely tanked his reputation. However, I think we can all agree that it sure as fuck will not help. So right now it looks like Republicans are taking one step back for every step forward or one step forward for every step back however you want to put it 
it really looks like it could be a coin toss, but either way, it still looks that by default, the Democrats are going to be hurt significantly by the midterms if we're looking at it through a historical lens. Right. I just wanted to backtrack for a second to Raphael Warnock again. I'm going to read a little bit from a Fox News article that came out uh, on the 11th. Ebenezer Baptist Church, which pays Warnock a sizable $7,417 monthly housing allowance as its senior pastor, is 99% owner of the Columbia Tower at MLK Village, where residents have received eviction notices for owing as little as $25.88 in past due rent, according to the documents obtained by the Washington Free Beacon. Eight tenants at Columbia Tower which is also run by Columbia Residential and described as a haven for the, quote, chronically homeless and those afflicted with, quote, mental disabilities have been issued eviction notices since early 2020 for owing an average of $125 in rent. That's uh, quite a thing to do for a man of God to evict people over $25. Hmm. Yeah, um... And this is talking about a Warnock? Yes, as in the other fellow running in Georgia. Huh. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, for a, a Democrat, that's not a good look considering that Democrats pride themselves on being the voice for the homeless and the disadvantaged. Nobody is coming out of this Georgia election with white gloves on. Everybody is getting their hands dirty. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is a shit show. This is... It really is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is what happens when you get into politics in 2022, people. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody is a good guy. There is no good guy. Except Ron DeSantis. We love you, Ron DeSantis. And Ron Paul. Ron Paul. And Rand Paul. That too. Yeah. yeah. So, speaking of the midterms, we also have the other shit show, deep in the heart of Texas, Abbott versus Beto. Now, Abbott versus Beto is a rather exciting election for both Republicans and Democrats alike considering that many Democrats, at least for the few months uh, during Beto's campaign, uh, many Democrats hailed it as the end of Abbott's reign, and it could finally be a tipping point for a blue wave in Texas. Fast forward a couple of months, and now Democrats are having nervous breakdowns because polls show that Texas is not buying his bullshit. Beto, whose real name is Robert Francis O'Rourke, yet he prides himself on apparently being Hispanic, even though his father's name is Patrick O'Rourke and his mother's name is Melissa O'Rourke, so he's about as white as a fucking snowman. He's fucking Irish. He's not Hispanic. Fucking Francis. Uh, he's been making his rounds through Texas, uh, doing his best to campaign, and uh, it's actually really entertaining seeing all the heckles thrown his way, 
And he has a decent amount of support, especially for a Democrat in Texas. However, the polls show that Abbott is still leading pretty comfortably. Most polls agree that he has around a six to nine point lead. And uh, yeah, uh, what say you, Marque? Any comments? For the immediate future, I don't know about the long run, but Texas is just a boondoggle for the Democrats. Every major election, they always say, we're going to flip Texas, and they put in so much effort into it. So much money, airtime, and just activist energy try to flip it. But it keeps not working. It keeps not turning big dividends. Ted Cruz is still in power. Greg Abbott is still in power. And in the last general election, it voted for Trump. Right. I don't know what's going right. to do this election, but if history is any guide, like recent history, Texas will probably continue to be a boondoggle for them where they will just keep sinking effort and keep getting paltry returns. Republicans still in power. It may be close, but it's yet so far. Maybe in the future, if Republicans are unsuccessful at securing the Hispanic vote, then maybe Texas could flip, but I don't see it happening in the near future. I really don't. Last I checked, Beto actually has a surprisingly low approval among Hispanics because just recently, Hispanics passed whites for the uh, majority population in Texas. However, from what I'm seeing... Hispanics actually have a much lower approval for Beto than you would expect them to have for a Democrat. Their approval for Beto sits at 51%. Now, keep in mind, that is still much higher than they have for Greg Abbott at 39%, but that is still shockingly low for a fucking Democrat. Absolutely. I really don't see Beto pulling this one out of his ass. I don't. I don't see them pulling Texas out of their ass for 2024 either in the general elections. Definitely not. I mean, Texas hasn't voted for a Democrat since 1976 when they voted for Carter. That's president. Their last governor, I believe, who was a Democrat was in 19... It was in the mid-1990s. So I really don't see them randomly, especially with Beto's current policies being a complete shit show. Now, don't don't get it twisted. I've never been an Abbott fan. But if you look at them side by side, man, Beto would just be tragic to the fucking state. And you can get this. I actually, my curiosity peaked, and I watched the debate that they had, and it was a shitty format of debate. They, they got like 15 seconds to a minute to respond there was no live audience or anything but the moderators just said like all right he said this what's your response to this you have 15 seconds go but yeah that was a shitty debate because of that but if you watch the debate neither one of them did particularly stellar in my opinion but Beto just dodged question after question after question I remember they said hey in 2019, during the Democratic primaries for president, you said, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. And 
Then, earlier this year in, I believe, February, maybe March, he said, uh, I'm not interested in taking anything from anybody. They said, okay, so what's your, did you change your opinion? Did you, are you going back on what you said? What's the deal? And then uh, Deadass, his response was, not word for word, but it was basically just, Abbott hasn't done anything. I want change. And the moderator specifically said, that doesn't answer the question. Can you please answer the question? He goes, right. Unlike Abbott, I want change. I want something done. And they basically just said, fuck it. He's not going to answer the question. And then they moved on. Yeah. Beto is arguably one of the worst up-and-coming politicians. He is tragic. Indeed. Responses like that remind me of like uh, Marco Rubio's performance in the 2016 debates, which is probably why he didn't get very far or, uh, in those debates, which was that everyone said he sounded like a robot and just kept saying the same things and just kept going after Obama repeatedly, no matter how much people laid into him. I remember one exchange I was watching not too long ago again. Like you, I'm a political nerd and like to watch presidential debates sometimes. Uh, Chris Christie is laying into him. He's the ex-New Jersey governor. Right. And Rubio just keeps saying the same thing about Obama, which is uh, very unhelpful. He's just standing there and just getting punched in the back. But then he's punching forward. 180 degrees talking in the wrong direction. Stuff like that is how politicians don't get elected, which is one of the reasons why I'm not really convinced Beto is going to win. He doesn't seem very lifelike. He seems like a puppet. He, He's a marionette. Yeah, he barely, but he still lost to Ted Cruz for Senate. And a lot of people really don't like Ted Cruz. And a lot of people really don't like Abbott, but... Abbott still, at least from what I've seen, has a better reputation than Cruz. So, yeah, I I don't think Beto's going to win this. And, you know, they'll a lot of people I see, they're like, Abbott's getting voted out. A lot of people hate Abbott. Yeah, but a lot of people really hate Beto. And they got to remember, Texas, by default, is a Republican state. The D next to Beto's name is already enough to throw enough, to throw people off of him. And if you take out the cities like Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Houston, maybe El Paso, Texas is a safely red state. In my opinion, most of the people that are going to vote for Beto because they don't like Abbott, they would have already voted for Beto anyways. And of course, there are exceptions. There are going to be some people out in the countryside who vote for him, I don't think it's going to be enough. I, I think Abbott wins this one. That's the way I'm going to call it. I've never been to Texas. I'm not too acquainted with uh, how it's done down there. But it just seems that Beto is only speaking to the cities. He's not speaking to what you usually think of as the quintessential Texan. And there are a lot of quintessential Texans in Texas. 
I find it hard to believe that a few very clustered urban centers are going to outweigh everyone else when all those everyone else people usually vote for Republicans, especially how, right, especially how Texas is still reliably a Republican stronghold. It went for Trump last time and went for Trump the time before it. So I'm not sure they're going to turn tail and start up and electing Democrats. Yeah, and from what I've seen Beto said, uh, he goes, yeah, I know I'm more than likely not going to flip the rural counties, but he said all I have to do is put enough of a dent into them to win this one. He said, because I'm already getting the cities, I just have to damage Abbott's reputation in the red places enough to gain that. I said, buddy, that's not going to (laughs) happen. That is not going to happen. Uh, Or at least it is very unlikely to happen because keep in mind, a lot of the red areas, they're feeling, and this is apparently one of the like top three, if not the top issue is immigration. And most Texans, according to pretty much every poll, approve of the way that Abbott has handled it, sending them up to the Democratic strongholds, saying, hey, you said you were a sanctuary city. Most of them approve of that. Meanwhile, Beto supports open borders. Not just that, but he supports taking away gun rights. He supports uh, defunding the police. So not only does he support allowing a bunch of potential criminals and illegal immigrants to bring in dangerous drugs and crime. He also supports taking away your right to defend yourself from them. And he supports weakening the people that are supposed to protect you in case you can't protect yourself. So I really That's right. think, and I know it's usually an exaggeration when people say that we'll go into anarchy and Armageddon if this person is elected, but I think this is about as close as Texas could get to it if Beto is elected allow the illegals in, defund the police, and take away your right to a firearm. That is an ugly, ugly combination. One of the things that gets me about a lot of Democrats in the past, like a few years since the George Floyd riots, and once again, I'm talking about the professional activists and the politicians, not the actual voters. That's just a... always caveat but like i'm saying is the whole defund the police movement government is supposed to provide three essential services when you get right down to it and it can't work without these three the military the courts and the police Mm -hmm. if it's providing those three it's already succeeded and it's already a good government if it's going beyond those three it's already failed, and it's being a bad government. Yep. So, Beto and a lot of these Democrats lately, I, I'm just going to start calling them these social Democrats lately. Just drop all the pretenses. They want the government to do everything that shouldn't do, involved in the economy in every way you can conceive of, and then not do what it's supposed to do, which mm-hmm. is protect the citizenry from depredations from other parts of the citizenry, and things that come from beyond the citizenry, i.e. foreign powers. If it's not that and restraining itself from committing its own depredations, this is the entirety of what good government is supposed to do. When you're venturing beyond that, you're not being a good government anymore. 
So it's just very cool how the social democratic politicians around here are just inverting that. Yeah. It, I don't understand the thought process, and especially when many people on the left try to demonize conservatives, because, you know, that that's what they that's their primary tactic is saying you disagree with me because you want people to be hurt. You know, you don't want universal health care because you want people to die. You don't want uh, gun control because you want children to get shot. You don't want uh, you just want closed borders because you want all these people outside the United States to suffer. It's shit like that. And then I, I hear from I heard from someone one time. Uh, they said conservatives don't believe that the police should be held accountable for their actions. No. And they know that that's not what conservatives think. They know that's not the mindset, but they have to pass it off as that because they know that that's the only way that they can get support. And hell, in many cases, it works. No. As somebody who identifies as pretty conservative myself, of course I think that the police should be held accountable for their actions. But defunding the police is not the solution to that. What, you think that if they drive a shittier car, they're not going to shoot people that they would shoot otherwise? You think that if their paycheck is lower, you think that if they get a shittier gun, that they're less likely to use it? No, that's not the solution. Defunding the police is not going to solve anything. It'll just make shit worse. If anything, it'll make crime more rampant, which could end up with more people getting shot by the police or by criminals. That's definitely possible. I... Whether I'm conservative or libertarian, that's a whole nother rabbit hole that takes too long to go into on this show. We're running out of time. But I will say that I am all in favor of police reform. That doesn't mean some crazy uh, anarcho-communist experiment where we're all going to just have some weird commune without... Uh, police that's that's not reality that's not how people operate that's not how civilizations operate what would i do instead i'd rather abolish i believe they're called the 1033 program where basically the police departments have an amazon for surplus military equipment at steep distance get rid seriously decrease swat teams they have hammers they're going to want to use them get rid of a lot of those was a really hard-hitting pieces of equipment that they don't need. Police don't need a bunch of APCs, armored personnel carriers. They don't need tanks. They don't need all these helicopters. They don't need this many M16s. They don't need grenade launchers. Hmm. Rid of all this stuff. Go back to the 1950s when the police were their friendly neighborhood cop on the block. And like my grandfather was around that time. Amen. You, we don't need police to be an occupying army. At the same time, it's manifestly ahistorical and completely contrary to how people function in a society. To expect them to be able to function without having people to keep the peace. 
You're going to need the cops to do that. If you're not going to have cops to do that, you've got to sacrifice a lot of the division of labor and be ready to do it yourself. And the, the people on the left, most of them, they're not capable of doing it themselves. Yeah. They are armed. You need to be armed to stop criminality and all that. They're not. We need the police to do that so we can keep the specialization and division of labor at the level we have it. But at the same time, the police shouldn't be a whole-ass standing army on American soil. Amen. And uh, we certainly don't need to be advocating for defunding the police and then hiring 87,000 new IRS agents and praising it as an Inflation Reduction Act. That's not how this works either. No, it is not. But then again, if they knew how it worked, they wouldn't be leftists. So Very well. Yeah. But anyway, I think that about wraps us up for today. Indeed. Thank you for having me, Dusk. Thank you for joining me once again. I'll see all you motherfuckers in the next episode. Stay politically aware.